Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Hello. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Show. So glad you could join us today. We are waiting for Sarah Wiseman to join us because she's going to be sharing with us the magic of soulmate connection. But do you believe you have a soulmate? Do you believe that you are a part of your soulmate process? Do you think that the person that you're currently married to or planning on marrying is actually So many questions about this particular concept, but now that since we are facing Valentine's Day, which is actually a commercial way of celebrating love. Yes, commercial. <laughs> Many of us hate the fact that we are a commercial society, but the truth is, is that money does make a portion of a part of our world go round. And we do contribute to the progression of our society by way of spending. So I'm not completely opposed to being able to celebrate and spend money on a loved one in a very conscious way in a way that recognizes that this is a special day to remember. I love you. I've selected you to be part of my life, and I'm glad that I did. Let me take this special moment out of my busy, preoccupied day full of chores and busyness to say, I love you. I'm so glad you're sharing my life with me. So now, Sarah Wiseman is a wonderful author, amazing author. I love writing reading her works and uh, corresponding with her to listen to her uh, take on what goes on. And she contributes to so much understanding of pain and depression and recovery, um, of being able to fall into your own psychic or psychological or spiritual powers so that you can embrace them for all of your life. And then to be able also integrate that in with your relationships, your intimate relationships. Now, those of you that are parents, consider for a moment that as a parent, you are um, going to be trying to explain falling in love to your children. You're going to be imitating or showing, demonstrating to your children what being in love is all about. And since the divorce rate is so high, since Children living in two homes or in divided homes is such a high percentage in the United States. It's a little bit difficult to explain to a child how you fall in love and how you fall out of love. And what are you, um, <clears throat> what are you possibly going to be able to um, do? Uh, oh, okay, I'm, I have a note here from Sarah Wiseman. Sarah, call in 626-414-3510, I send out a lot of notices, and and, and people have a lot of information to read to be on the radio show. So so hopefully she'll be able to pick up very soon. Um, So now consider that the love relationship that you demonstrate to your children expresses how you support them, how you support the person you love, how you have their back, in difficult times and in good times, how you ask to receive love from the person you love, 
and how awkward or complicated you make that process of receiving love or how easy and gentle and kind-hearted you can receive the love of another. And also attention to when you're being asked to love a person in a certain way, fashion or form, you are the teacher, the mentor of your children on, on how to express love. And our society basically is confused about love these particular days. It's confused about it because we live in a world of materialism and self-satisfaction. And it also confuses us as to how we take care of ourselves as independent individuals and yet interface with another individual whom we will love. Again, the call-in number for guests is 626-414-3510, Now, I'm going to review uh, some of the wonderful courses that are going to be coming up. We're going to be talking with uh, Randy Pizer about publishing a book and about being able to overcome major diseases. She's written a book about being able to overcome cancer, and that will be coming up at the end of February. We're going to be talking to Jack Ellis, and he's going to be talking about the magic that is accessible for you in your particular life. We will be talking with a doctor who has specifically researched the process of not putting fat on and being able to take fat off. It will be interesting talking to him about the menopausal process as it relates to women and the menopausal process as it relates to men uh, and various other aspects of gaining weight during a man and a woman's life. So those are just a few of the programs that are going to be coming up. We, as you know, address lifestyle. We address health, curiosity, and social issues as well. Now let's take a pause for a little bit of a meditation. And if you will just close your eyes and relax. Close your eyes and relax. As you listen to this music written by a composer named Maza. And in the process of listening to this music, take a deep breath in. Oh, that's right. Did you know that taking a deep pronoun breath in allows you to be able to inhale and exhale. Inhale the things that will support your body and health and exhale to get rid of the toxics that your body doesn't need but plants need. So therefore, as a consequence, you inhale and exhale, inhale and exhale, inhale and exhale. And notice I'm increasing the speed of it. To do it faster and stronger and fuller is an invigorating process of making yourself be able to get going in the morning. When you otherwise feel like your energy level might be low, you instead can invigorate yourself dynamically and fully. Now, as you inhale and you exhale faster and fuller, stretch your arms way over your head and stretch your legs way below your torso so that you are stretching the interior of your body with such fullness, completeness, and an ability to uh, appreciate that your body is this amazing organism that desperately wants to... Uh, to, to stretch, to work, to move, to be alive, to be active, to be supportive of who you are. Your body is this animated instrument that wants to live in animation. It is in constant movement inside of you, even though you sit completely still. That every fractal movement of your blood, your bones, your organs, the cells at the very microscopic level, or the way they coalesce into different functional organs, they are constantly in movement 
a type of vibration that vibrates through every single different type of organ in your body. Now let's take that sense of vibrational energy and let's for a moment just focus it on your heart. That's right, your chest. Right in the middle of where your sternum is, right below your shoulder blades coming together in the middle and just feel your hand up on your chest and while you're still breathing full and complete and maybe intense and stronger, gentle and relaxed. Focus on your heart, that beautiful, beautiful space that beautiful space that just enables you to uh, feel the peace or feel the heartache. This is a place where you feel lost or you feel fullness. This is a place where when you look at a baby or your own baby, some of you will say, wow, and you will feel that depth of love so completely, so fully, so wonderfully inside your chest. And for those of you who have lost, and all of us have, all of us have lost at one point or another, you take a deep breath in and you honor that inside your chest is that deep love that means that you also have ache. And that ache inside your chest is that deep love for someone that's no longer with you in physical form. So you take a deep breath in in honor of the pain and the loss inside you and in honor of the love you have for whom you have lost. And then you let the air out of your chest, knowing that this is part of life, that death is part of life, that loss is part of having, that love has both wonderful presence and sometimes painful absence. Now, to be able to know that you can feel the absence and the pain is also paramount for you to be able to love as well. So as you are in the process of loving, as you are in the process of reaching out. Some of you say, no, I'm not going to give that much or be that involved or be that connected because you know that it's painful to lose. You've lost at a young age or you've lost someone very amazingly close to you. You've lost in a way that was shocking to your system and traumatizing to your psyche. But here you are being able to breathe in the experience of loving that whom you have lost. So that in their absence, you can still connect to a love. And yes, it aches, and it aches big. But your ability to know that absence does involve itself in our love for someone is also your ability to take the risk to deeply, deeply feel the power of your ability to love and to survive and to carry forward and to know that love in all respects has risk. Love in all respects has risk. If you're a new parent and you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, um, what, what do I do? What do I do? My, my child do something happens um, to my child. What do I do? And so you realize as soon as you give birth to a child, you are at risk for your very essence to be jeopardized by your love for your child. Well, take a deep breath because now we are almost at the end of our meditation and Sarah is going to now share with us the very act of, uh, you know, the fall in love with the soulmate, which has risk because there's loss, but also has gain. Open your eyes and stretch and say, okay, 
love is worth the risk. Thank you. Sarah Wiseman, how are you this morning? <laughs> I am just fine. It was quite a struggle to get into the show. It was like doing a little uh, a computer game where you have to <laughs> unlock many doors. <laughs> but we made well, it. Well, I think... I think that that's very symbolic of our topic because I think that falling in love and finding your soulmate is a lot like unlocking the doors. And Sarah, I think that maybe as you're catching your breath and you're now on a show that one of the places I would like to start out with is how do you summon your soulmate to you? Because there are many people who are going to have Valentine's Day and they're going to be irritated by the fact that yet again, or this year, uh, they have lost their soulmate, their love. They are divorced. They are separated. There's been a death. Um, there's been a betrayal. You know, love has so many bitter aspects to it. And so when people say, you know what, I'm willing to take the risk to find my soulmate, but how do I summon that individual to me? And I know that you help people with that. So, Sarah, walk us through that process, that exercise, as if you have a client in front of you this very moment, and I will, I will take the role of your client, okay? All right, very good. Um, okay. The first thing I like people to understand for you, Carol, is uh, that this idea that we are all fully attached to our destiny. So everything that is happening is sort of unfolding exactly as it should, even if that doesn't seem, you know, right to you or confusing, but just to trust that that we're just all moving forward in this path of soul growth uh, just exactly as we should. So even if you're not with someone now, um, it may be that it's the timing isn't right. Maybe that you have other things for you to do um, um, in order to be ready for that, that soulmate in your life. So... One of the things, too, is sometimes people are on different paths. I've been working with this idea a lot about um, the four spiritual paths, and they are mystic, lover, seeker, saint. And mystic might be one who does a lot of contemplation, and lover might be one in romantic relationship or in love, non-sexual love relationship with a child or taking care of a parent. Seeker might be one who is out traveling and expanding in the world. And then saint might be one who is doing acts of service for just anyone who comes in their path. So it might be that you're so busy with one of those paths, like say for you, maybe it's the mystic path, but that is actually more important for you to place your time and energy there than doing the lover. How does that feel to you? Oh, that's an interesting take. Okay, so um, I, as your client, and so you're saying that every every client needs to kind of contemplate one of these four primary paths. Now, what is interesting to me is as I contemplate, and I do think that I am predominantly a mystic, so that was spot on, you and your psychic capacities. <laughs> um, it seems to me that we can summon our soulmate regardless of those four paths, because our soulmate might be a partner that shares uh, in that path or, or enables us to advance on that path as well as we help them uh, advance as well. So how? So walk us to the next step of after we've identified that, how does that still fit into mm-hmm. summoning or yep. not summoning the soulmate? 
this group. So the next place I would go into is to just put your <laughs> put the matchmaker function into the divine's hands. Um, I like to have this idea that the divine is really busy creating all of these convergences, which is where people and time and places all come together perfectly and understand that the way you meet your soulmate is going to be one of these divine convergences and your only job we're going to go into a little more another little job but the the only job is to allow yourself to be um, aware enough to follow the synchronicities and follow the strands um, to be in the right place in the right time for this convergence. All you have to do is sort of listen to that. And the rest is once you um, run into them, <laughs> it, it's all, it's, then you start to begin to go on another path. So let me give you a quick example. In oh, my wonderful. own life, yeah, I mean, my own life, I, um, a couple things. Sometimes we're following along on the divine path, but we're sort of oblivious to when a soulmate happens um, in my own um, life. I was in a, I had joined a writing group and there was a man in the writing group and I really, he, uh, he looked so much different than anybody I would ever consider as or even had experience of as a partner. Um, he was from a really different background and I just thought, I went to the writing group the first time and I just thought, oh, that's really a nice man. That's all I thought. I didn't, there were no bells and whistles of, you know, soulmate material here and, um, I just thought he's very nice, very not. What a nice mm. man! That's what I thought. Um, mm. And and then writing group went on, and we began to notice. I began to notice that I kept really looking forward to writing group, and even though it was a a weekly meeting, uh, I noticed that I and this man kept wanting to suggest that <laughs> that the that the meeting happened um, more than once a week. That it was twice a week, maybe, or and so. Anyway, but still, I'm, I'm just oblivious because in my expectation of what I think I want, this man doesn't match up to that on the surface, on the surface. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm. So finally, a couple months later, um, um, I'm at a very large music concert in Portland and I'm milling around, walking in the crowd. This is quite a while ago. Um, and I... I literally run into a man. Um, I'm saying, excuse me, excuse me. And I um, look up and I say, oh, it's you, guy from writing class. And then I look up again and he's he's basically like holding me in his arms laughing. And he says, and I say, oh, it's you. And it took the divine. So this is the idea of the convergence. It took the divine, me being so oblivious, so in my own head, not being able to receive the gift of a soulmate because it wasn't in the package that I thought it should be in. It took the divine running me into his arms in order for me to understand um, that that was the convergence and that was supposed to be. Yeah, and, you know, I think, in fact, in in um, in every meeting, because I think we have more than one soulmate on this earth. We have soulmates who help us learn um, karmic lessons or help us do our work at different stages in our life. So when we're young, we might have a, a match to us who's going to help us 
take us, you know, to forward a certain level. And then when we're at a different stage of life, maybe we're building a family or, you know, just as an example, we might have another person to help us on that path. And then in our, um, you know, later years, we have soulmates that we're connecting with on different things. So um, in each, in my life, in each of those cases, there's always been that sense of really knowing that the moment in which you become aware is like a very energetic container. It's like a lightning flash, not of romance necessarily, but of energy like there you are. I know who you are. We're supposed to do some work together in this lifetime. So in terms of calling in, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I want to get to that next idea so because you had asked for that too. Oh, I just, I don't want to stop you. Go ahead and call in, please. <laughs> I have a million questions are coming oh. to my mind, but I don't want to understand your flow. I don't want to interrupt your flow. Please go forward. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Well, so when we attempt to call in, the way I work with clients on this is, um, one, the first thing to do is to do all your, to get as far as you can on your personal self to clear um, all of your old past and make sure that you are very energetically clear from any old relationships. Um, and in the case where the person is, you know, there might have been a difficult breakup, that's a lot of healing that needs to happen. And in the case um, where maybe that person has departed, maybe you begin to connect with that person in the other dimension and just really um, lay out your heart to them as to this idea that you might be ready to go go forward and connect with another living being now and sort of checking to see if the heart is ready for that. Um, Sometimes we're just, you know, not ready to have another relationship, even if it's been many years, you know, that the person has passed. And then to sit down, and I have people make a list of all of the qualities that they want in a soulmate, and I have them make a very, very big list of like 30 things. And it's pretty funny how, you know, some, <laughs> sometimes people will be like, I want a brown-haired man who's six foot tall and he drives this kind of car. And so we get through all that kind of clutter and chatter, right? And yeah. then um, I have them cut the list in half and cut the list in half again. And then maybe maybe I, I ask them to pick five things or maybe three things. And then we're getting down to heart quality. And in doing this exercise, people learn to understand that it's really not anything to do with um, what the physicality looks like or what race or what background or what profession. It's all about those things that are most important um, for you at the at the heart level. And, and like in my case, I had been praying and meditating for a person who was um, kind and funny and adored me and my kids and um, financially stable. And I, you know, and I didn't put in, um, that's why when the person showed up in such a different physical container, I, I couldn't see him because he wasn't the um, type of person I'd normally been around. And now, of course, you know, 10 years later, gosh, (laughs) 
I can't believe that I didn't spot him right away, but that was my obtuseness at the time. Oh, that is so interesting. You know, you're, you were saying that this phase of it is that you listen to the synchronicities and the, and the synergistic processes that go on to kind of like pay attention to when your soulmate's knocking on your door or when the universe is kind of leading your path. But at the same time, you're also saying that sometimes you have to be like uh, um, steered in a direction blindly because there's no way you can actually steer or listen to those symbols given your own preconceived notions as to how it should appear. So it's an interesting dialectic there. Well, and also like, so if you have a child, you don't, you might sort of have a general idea of what the, the you know, genetics of the child might, you know, that might look like um, you and the other person that, that created the child. But really these personalities that um, arrive to us are something that we couldn't have imagined or couldn't have chosen. And certainly um, as the children grow, we can't um, try as we might. We can't conform them into a particular box, you know, if that's not what they're going to be. And it's sort of like those are great loves in our lives. And the the soulmate comes in, you know, we're not able to, nor should we want to control or manage or make a certain way. Um, we're just here to love who shows up. Hmm. That's interesting. So then, is that pre- what, what? Is there another step involved in that process? Because um, that was pretty comprehensive, and I know that one of the things you want to address is: Do we have just one soulmate, or do we have many? And when we have the loss of one person who has felt like a soulmate, what does that mean? And uh, what is you know? So I know you also want to address those questions as well, but I also want to make sure that we know these steps for people to call in a soulmate. So uh, let me, yes, so the first is to do, we'll just call do your own work, all the healing that's required to make your heart available. Because if your heart is, a lot of times I'll get people who really want to call in a love, but they're very, very involved, say, with an ex. Maybe they're, um, you know, even to the fact they're texting and emailing and having phone conversations with the ex and and um, one person I worked with was still going on vacations with the ex. So that is not wow. a person whose heart is clear, you know, to move mm-hmm. forward. Um, or if your um, partner has passed, um, then again, you can do things on the, the different dimensional level of making sure you're really done with your grieving. And to my mind, this way of saying grieving only lasts a year and you're ready to move forward, um, I just really don't agree. I think grieving takes whatever length of time it takes. And, um, you know, I know especially for um, women now who are older, say in their uh, 70s or 80s or 90s when a partner passes, they may decide that um, they're going to be busy grieving or integrating that relationship for their lives and there's no time left or there's no room left to call in that mm-hmm. that new partner so why you know they're complete with with that type of information um or that type of experience um so making sure the grieving process is 
really complete. And um, I would suggest going into meditation and just simply beginning to talk with the departed um, until you just feel feel like you're okay. And again, yeah, yeah. And then the next is sort of um, creating a container. So when I, I like when we manifest, we sort of create a container and then the divine can put something in it. So you want to create a container by this list, the, the, the big list that isn't very conscious and then getting a little more conscious and then, and then really honing down on what are the, like the soul qualities or the heart qualities of the person and letting the divine choose their hair color and their job and their culture and their background, letting the divine, even their age, maybe they're going to be older or younger than you, letting the divine um, sort of figure out those details for you. And then I would just go into um, meditation and begin to connect with this person in meditation. This was a step I had been doing unknowingly. <laughs> this is my, my blindness that um, months before I met this man, um, I had seen in my meditation a big smiling face and a kind of bald head. And I said, oh, you're bald. <laughs> Great, no problem. And um, this was probably six months before I met him. The divine in meditation was bringing me the vision of him. Although, again, because of my obtuseness, I didn't recognize him <laughs> when I met him. So, yeah, yeah, so you got to, you know, take it all sort of as a process. But begin to meditate and begin to speak to this person. Um, and in that way, maybe there's a, you begin to connect on a different dimensional level. Um, and again, this doesn't happen in one weekend. You know, you don't just clear your energy and make your list and meditate, and then on Monday, you know, you run into him or her in the coffee line. This might be a period of a year or several months that this doing it energetically is... Um, how it happens. The other thing, and this is maybe more practical, is you do have to get out there. Um, and you can't just only stay at home. It makes it a little more tricky for the divine to <laughs> do, it, do, do the work. And so in my case, if I hadn't been at the initial writing class, um, I, w- I would have missed the opportunity. Um, and... The other thing that might be interesting, then in relationships, soulmate relationships before, and maybe those relationships are complete, is to kind of backtrack on your life and look at the synchronicities that led you to meet a certain person or be in a certain place. Um, For example, the reason I went to the writing group is because a couple day or a couple day or week, I don't remember. Before I had been at a poetry reading this, in which the writing group was mentioned, and even at that poetry reading, when the writing group was mentioned, I had a feeling of like I absolutely must go to that for some reason, even though I wasn't really sure I was all that interested in the writing group, and. My husband now said that when he was invited to the same writing group, um, he had the knowing that um, I would be there and that we would meet and that it was destiny. Now, I didn't have the same clearness there, 
Um, but and so where and and how did I get to the poetry group? Probably some, the divine set up a step to get me to the poetry group. I don't remember what that was. And how did I get to that step? And so if you sort of backtrack, you'll see the divine is kind of guiding you to these convergence points. Um, it, it helps if you're allowing the divine to lead you, uh, but even sometimes in spite of yourself, you're led there too. Well, I have to, you know, it, 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 first, it takes individuals being open to trusting that the, the, the spiritual realm, the divinity of, of, their, of their life is watching out for them and trying to respond. <laughs> and secondly, being able to clear the path so that someone can step in. And thirdly, being able to move forward so the divine can actually, you know, it, it, it's so much harder to move something that's standing still. The divine can move something that's in movement a lot easier. That's true with physics. And your suggestion that's true with the divine as well. So being in movement, does it also in being in movement your way of saying, okay, I really authentically am ready to do this, <laughs> to make this happen? Right. And I think people, too, um, get very um, overly focused on, say, their weight or their appearance or... Um, you know, like they have to, they have to get the, their bodies perfect to, um, you know, to relationship. And I, now I live in the Pacific Northwest, and so the, I guess the ways of looking at physicality are a little bit different than maybe say in LA, where there's a little bit more. I, I would just, I would gather more pressure on looking a certain way, or, um, but. I have found that when the heart connection is there, there, the physicality has no, um, it it means nothing when you're connecting to another person at this deeper level. I mean, obviously, you're hoping the person, like, bathes and does basic grooming, but, but in reality, it's just, like, the extra 10 pounds or the extra 30 pounds. It's like, eh, so who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, the... Little bit long, longer nose or whatever the per, you know the ears that stick out is like, and especially as we age, you know the body shifts a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's over time too. Oh, you're so delicate. <laughs> downward and outward, I guess. And, and it's hmm. like, but this is likely that your soulmate's having similar, you know, body shifting too, and it's like this is about. Um, having compassion for each other and understanding that we are in these human containers and we don't have perfect control over them. You know, not, not every listener is going to come from a perspective of having a spiritual walk. And um, it, so it, it's an interesting, I mean, you do come from that perspective and I do appreciate that. What would you recommend for someone who doesn't come from a spiritual walk? Um I would for someone who doesn't come from yeah no no I think it's great and um, a lot of folks that I work with kind of don't and that's okay too I would say mm-hmm. the idea there is um, raise your vibration and be very open and by raising vibration you know go get out there and do things that I mean that are that are fun for you not like what you think you should be doing but that you enjoy. And then be open to 
everybody around you, women, men, you know, just be friendly, be open, and even as an introvert, be open in a in your own special introverted way, which might be a quieter mode, but just um, do what you enjoy and be open, be open mm-hmm. to possibility. How do you think people should address, um, you know, like I live in Southern California, and beauty is skin deep, but it seems to be so is the eye of the beholder. And so there is a lot of the message, uh, you know, that I do want a certain package and I'm not going to take anything different than that. And, and or, or that there's a consciousness there's less men than there are women uh, at all ages, but especially as women get older. Um, and so that men are communicating to me in many ways, that they can choose from a wide age range and a wide um, beauty range. And women don't have that same criterion, number one, nor that same flexibility. Um, interesting, that's just a sociological statement. So now how does that fit in terms of what you're suggesting people to be optimistic, uh, mm-hmm. hope to? What, what, how, how do you fit that in? Yeah, um, that's very interesting, and I, I, I would, on the one hand, I absolutely accept and agree with what you're saying, especially um, knowing the area that we're talking about. But on the other hand, um, you know, it's sort of like another another version of living fear based. Um, the divine doesn't really care what the lim- again I'm talking a spiritual perspective the divine or the universe doesn't really care what the limitations are if there's supposed to be a connection it's going to be made um, so it's kind of like living it's the same paradigm of scarcity there's not enough men or the men only want a certain thing um, but but I, I think that if you were to look at it another way that to be more open to who's actually there um, I think that I would I would re- reject um, this is a pretty bold statement but I think I would reject looking for men who said oh I have all this available if a man isn't isn't available to you then that's not your soulmate right and I know that there are men probably listening who might not fit into the particular package perfectly who would love to be soulmated. So I, I wonder if this is a fear-based, you know, just like, you know, we, we, all, we all went into fear when the economy collapsed, collapsed in 2008, and this is yeah. uh, sort of another version of, oh, everything's stacked against me. I mean, honestly, if, if I had gone in the idea of, of fear-based, say, being an author, I would have never published a book. I mean, it's an impossible task to make that happen. And yet if you just go, ah, that's just one paradigm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just choose another way of believing, and, and then that's what's going to happen. Hmm. So in other words, you might as well consider that you're exception to the apparent rule. Why not? So that will help yes. you move forward. Whereas if you That's, decide yeah. that you're going to be part of the tragedies of what surrounds you and you're you're among that group, then you know you're already kind of putting your destiny in in, in the hands of mm-hmm. pessimism. And what's the point of that? And 
that's a yeah. spiritual perspective. Yeah. Well, at this yeah. point, um, if you're ready, how about if we talk about do people have one soulmate and what happens during divorce and separation or, or uh, when a partner um, drifts, goes away, and says that they've found a soulmate in someone else. So how do we deal with perspectives associated with that? Because it sounds like those perspectives are also associated to recovering from the loss of a soulmate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in the past, you know, we didn't live that long. And so maybe, we, maybe we'd live till our 30s or even 40s if we were really lucky. And so there wasn't room for more than one um, love relationship because we just simply, you know, didn't have time. And now that our lifespans are extending, um, we're seeing these soulmates that come in during different passages of our life, during the the young love passage, say in the in the teens or twenties, um, maybe again in the ch- uh, child rearing stage. Um, around 40, a lot of people seem to have very big, I don't know, if, I know that sometimes the term is midlife, but it's almost like there's a giant transition in the 40s to understanding like our time is um, our time is limited and if we want to do what we thought we were going to do, we can't wait any longer. And so in the 40s, there seems to be a switching of um, soulmates too and then um, I think that there are probably some other stages beyond so my feeling is that each of these soulmates are um, valid but they are based on the soul we've developed into at the time so if when we're in our 20s we're just these new souls and we attract people that are a, a partner who's on the same path as we are at that point if we're in our 50s or 60s, we attract a soulmate that um, has had, you know, similar experiences. So always we're working on, I call, all soulmates are this idea of convergence or sometimes I call it karmic crossing where we meet, we're having attraction, and then we have this karmic crossing where we understand, okay, you and I are soulmates. We work together in many past lifetimes, we're going to work together many, many uh, future lifetimes likely, and unless we can get this lesson wrapped up in this lifetime. And so some of the positive lessons we might work on with somebody are trust and love, openness, patience, and selflessness. And then sometimes we'll get these karmic crossings that are negative, that are equally valid for us to work out, and that might be about power, control, behavior, addiction, abuse, anger, and abandonment, these kind of shadows that all of us at one time or another are going to move through in our lives or are going to be struggling with. So so these karmic crossings are these convergences in which we meet the soulmate that's going to help us work on one of these types of lessons, whether positive or negative and um, sometimes we have to work through a lot of negative soul mating until we begin to learn those lessons in a lifetime we might work on say addiction or abuse with several several soul mated partners to help us 
move forward in that karmic lesson that we're trying to work on before we're able to move into uh, soulmate at the level where we're working on, say, trust. So, in other words, these relationships are about lessons. They are about progressing and evolving your own being as much as they are about feeling in love and having that, as you call it, the champagne and chocolate moment of romance. (laughs) You you look at the bigger teaching involved in in this person, this human being, that, that complicates or eases your life. Yes, and I think there was one study I just read that talks about romantic love only lasts six months. And, hmm. you know, sometimes that's the entire length of a, could be a length of relationship, or maybe the relationship doesn't even make it that long. But after that, you know, the champagne and chocolate period, um, I don't know what the non-alcoholic uh non <laughs> the vegan version of that would be but whatever oh. whatever you choose to have as your romantic version um you know then you get down to the work of how how do we you know how do we be together and hmm. that's when these lessons they just start to come up it's like like it or hmm. not okay patience that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna be working on with you and uh and you know, addiction, that's what I'm going to be working on with you. And so how do we um, keep the relationship going while understanding that there are going to be lessons and challenges? It's just just how the human experience is. You know, many people, the statistics are, you know, very clear that people are choosing to be single. They're choosing to have a succession of lovers. So they live, they say in that, this is for a younger generation, so I'm going to say between the ages of 18 to about 40. Uh, these, these individuals, maybe 35, these individuals are choosing to uh, enjoy sex and romance without having the attachments. Uh, they're, they're choosing to have succession of relationships so they can have that, that lovely oxytocin intensity without having to have the drag of all the other sorts of things. And, and often because they don't want to take on the debris and clutter of another person's issues. Um, they are very much into their own progression, and they see another person's issues as something that's going to hold them back. Now, is that because people are narcissistic these days, or is that self-preservation? Is that wise? I mean, there's lots of different takes on this. But what do you feel is missed? I mean, you comment on that, but what do you think is missed when a person opts to not walk into the stream or the flow of an intimacy that grows past that initial romance, past those six months? Well, I, I, yeah, that's really interesting. And I have um, older, older children who are sort of doing that sort of path that you just described, and it is really interesting to, to watch um, relationships move in that, in that different kind of way. Um, I would say that even if you choose to not have not to commit to one lover or partner or spouse, um, <laughs> the lessons remain. It's like you can run, but you can't hide. You know the the lessons <laughs> remain. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a different way of of exploring. But I would say that in missing out on intimacy, um, the sexual energy that comes from the uh, the spiritual the transcendent type of sexual energy that comes from being 
an intimate relationship with someone you really know well, who you've really sort of taken off not just your clothes, but you've taken off your skin to that other person. Um, mm-hmm. That's a type of intimacy that you wouldn't you wouldn't want to miss if you had the opportunity to have that gift. I don't mean uh, about sex necessarily, but that intimateness. Um, so I don't know if I don't know if that can be um, something that happens with just a person you don't know well. Or my feeling is that there's something about accepting the person and allowing their complications and dealing with the lessons that opens both of you to a higher a higher plane. Um, again, it's sort of like with a child. Part of the thing about having children is that you spend time with them and you you get their juice for them and you maybe help them dress and you're doing all of these very, very intimate um you know, non-sexual, intimate ways of being with a child. And if you just had a, a child coming to your house, a different child every day for daycare, it wouldn't really be the same. You wouldn't develop the same level of uh, relationship with just a bunch of random children. Do you think that it's possible that our society, since over 50% uh, of, of the children now have been raised in, in broken homes? Mm-hmm. Um, at least, you know, they have seen broken love. And you talk about a multiple opportunities. You don't necessarily have one soulmate. So you do kind of talk about that, you know, divorce may be a part of life. Moving on may be a part of life. But for the children who have watched their parents not sustain a relationship all of their lives and having the complications of ugly, sticky, negative sorts of divorce processes and then co-parenting issues abound, that these children are growing up and saying, what's the point of hoping for a long-term relationship where we can grow in intimacy and we know we're going to be there for each other through thick and thin and we're going to grow old together and have each other's backs? What's the point in hoping for that when I've never really ever seen it exist? Mm -hmm. I think that that's um, very true. And again, this idea that we're going to have multiple soulmates during these different passages, probably not one from teenage years to to death is how I see it. Um, It's interesting, though, I think about this a lot because I have um, joint custody with my ex-husband. We have um, four kids uh, that we sort of raised together, and then he's remarried, and that family has, I think, three other adult children. And it it strikes me that... um, the way that this co-parenting is working is it's created another version of the old extended family where all multiple generations would live together. And it feels like the nuclear family just didn't have enough support built in. So now if you have, say, two parents who are divorced and then perhaps they remarry, you've got this, if, the, you, know, if you can create it so that it's a positive primarily positive arrangement with everyone working sort of for the for the tribe, I guess. And again, doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you, you still have connection with your ex-spouse as a romantic partner, 
it's more like they become almost like a relative to you. And I just see this a, a lot with these blended um, custody families where it's just like another pair of hands to help out, like becoming the village. And I just wonder if we didn't all start, uh, our parents or whoever didn't all start this trend of divorce because um, it was too hard to do just the little nuclear family. It didn't provide enough support for all the ways that we needed to be. Hmm. It's interesting discussing the evolution of, of, you know, marriage and family Mm -hmm. and uh, as it is occurring in uh, Western societies. Uh, considering that you know that marriage is really only been an institution or an organized organized way of being for about three thousand years, and in terms of human beings being on the planet in one form or another over two hundred fifty thousand years, that's not very long. One <laughs> percent, mm-hmm. less than one percent of our existence, our evolution. So it's almost as if you're talking about perhaps we are evolving into a whole other matrix of creating families. Um, because we are in search of trying to figure out what's going to work. But are we ever going to find an optimal way of being, or are we always going to be changing? And therefore, as we search for a soulmate and a soulmate relationship, is that also kind of in the the the, the iffies in there? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's super interesting. Um, um, well, I watched this show. It's called... Um, Oh, I can't remember now. It's this show about this mafia guy who goes to, to Norway and um, sets up shop there, and he falls in love with a Norwegian woman, and they have a child. And um, it's, I can't remember the name of the show. It's very popular. But anyway, I, I watched with interest, because I used to live in Norway, and, and I watched with interest how they dealt with, eventually the couple broke up, and how on air they dealt with... Um, the custody and who took care of the kids. And to my great interest, just seeing how they did it in Norway, like how they would present that on the show. And it was all just no big deal. Like, oh, there's the dad, here's the boyfriend, here's the kids, you know, everybody's sharing. And I feel that this is, especially in Europe, I think this is becoming more of more of a more fluid way of, of doing families. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm, I'm sure we are Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure we're evolving. And, and again, I think once people get tired enough, of, especially these new generations coming up, they don't want to go through the junk of, of their parents arguing that they dealt with, so maybe they'll choose to do it um, in a more fluid way. Hmm. So maybe consciously saying, okay, I'm going to marry you and I'm going to have a family with you, and we may or may not uh, grow that, those children up together all the way through. So therefore, let's kind of plan it ahead that we're going to take care of the children this way. And if we divorce, and we're going to shelter the children and help them and create this life. <laughs> I really don't well, think yeah, we are that conscious. No, but, but if we were to even have in the, I think one thing about marriage is um, we kind of throw our, our boat in, we throw ourselves into the same boat of the other person and we forget to grow as individuals and that is some of the reason why, you know, it, it all shuts down. I think this idea of understanding that even if you are with a soulmate, uh, you, still, you still have your own soul to grow um, outside of that relationship and to make sure that that's also a piece of what you're doing in your life. 
I didn't know that we were going to go into all these caveats and talking about Valentine's Day. <laughs> what do you think? Yes. On the most, on the most, on the most uh, okay, so we let's go on the most divine level that we possibly can for those of us that are the mystics. Here we go. <laughs> you called me out, didn't you? Um, <laughs> so I'm going to just respond. The most, the, most, the most divine level is chocolate. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no question about it. I think we should, call, we should create a chocolate that's called the mystic, the mystic soulmate. It's going to be a yes. little piece of chocolate bar. Um, so, if we, if, if I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to represent uh, a point of view for a moment as if it's real. And I'm, I please, I do not mean to meet and say that this is definitely for real. But a point of view is, is that ultimately we are all part of singularity, we're all part of unity and that we have individual consciousness as we populate and experience an con- unconscious plane. And in this conscious plane, therefore, we have all these opportunities. But, you know, ultimately, if we are all part of singularity, we're not really separate from one another. We all share, we all share the stardust, so to speak. And therefore, if people could approach an opportunity to interface with another collective stardust, as an opportunity to feel and experience and to grow and evolve um, and to also recognize that we've caught another person on their journey and they've caught us on our journey and that ultimately we are already connected and we all are part of the oneness and singularity of the all, the, the, the predating of the conscious plane, so to speak, um, that we all are part of uh, each other already and how would you like to respond to that? I agree. Yes, I I agree absolutely. That's that's. Uh, I, I call that in my own language. I I call that like the oneness principle. We're all one. So how can we ever be separate from each other? And having that that idea as we attract, um, as we attract, we're not attracting another. We're really attracting you know, ourselves, ourselves are being attracted to ourselves as one and it kind of takes some of this earthly pressure off the whole, the whole idea, knowing that this is, that's the true reality of how things are. And another aspect of this is that, and you, you touch on this, that soulmates are more than romantic. Um, you know, some parents say, I just feel like my child is like my, 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 my twin, my match, my soulmate. That feels awkward since we're used to thinking of soulmates in a romantic and sexual context. Um, but we can also have a soulmate that can remain a friend and isn't our sexual mate. If we want to have monogamy, do we also have the right to have a soulmate? Or is it inevitable that we're going to have soulmates that aren't necessarily of the right gender for our particular sexual taste or they're more buddies or friends or they're, they're too young or too old to become an intimate from our point of view, but that they're intimate on so many other levels than just having that monogamy or that sexual connotation. Do we need to expand our very definition of I'm not, I'm not another soulmate today and they were in the form of a dog or they were in the form right. of my my best friend's uh, little baby, you know. <laughs> so I was yeah. in the grocery store and I was talking to an infant and, and that infant left about, I'd say about 11 years old, so not an 11 months old. And that infant left and infant looked at me, nodded his head like, okay, we've had our moment. 
wonderful. And then wave, like I, like, I won't see you again, but this was awesome. And I had that really weird feeling that I had just met a soulmate that I will never mm-hmm. see again. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, well, it's, I was reading, um, I like to read The New Yorker, and they had a big article on Diane Nyad, who swam, um, who is the, you know, record-breaking swimmer. And um, her soulmate, yeah, her soulmate experience was, she had dated a woman for a little while, and then they stopped dating. This was like in their 20s. And then that woman, I don't remember her name, but she became her absolute soulmate, like her helper, coach, trainer. And through the entire piece of Diane being able to swim all those amazing trips, this person, this soulmate, this you know, early romantic partner, but then just soulmate friend was with her, um, I don't know, 30 years and going on. And so there's these people in our lives that are just just there. And, you know, sex is just one one piece of the equation. There's these people that are just around us. And I like to call that the primary soul cluster, these people that are just always around us through the lifespan um, as, a, as, as those are also soulmates, even though romance isn't involved. So I have a romantic point of view for our children, and that is to teach them how to celebrate their soulmate clusters and make it enlarged and then being able to to let someone leave so that they can grow uh, in, in another soulmate cluster and allow that the child, as, as we grow them up, to say these I have soulmate clusters and there's, there's ebb and flow in, in what goes on, but I will celebrate and take care and give and receive from the members of my soulmate cluster in kind of a very different way than I would those that are part of that that grouping. But that may actually be a healthier way to raise our children than to find yeah. the one to love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and even in the children themselves, um, I have a 18 year old who will who's a soulmate of mine who will be going off to college mm-hmm. this fall, and mm-hmm. and that's another type of you know, allowing this, that's another soulmate relationship that will be, um, you know, leaving or, or becoming different. And I like that idea of when he leaves to go on his path, it'll be grieving, but it'll also allow mm-hmm. something, some, some room for somebody, another person, friend, who knows, who knows who will mm-hmm. arrive into the room that the cluster now has. And of course, mm-hmm. connection will always be with him, but... You just won't be in the immediate vicinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for entertaining all these different questions as we approach Valentine's. We're basically saying Valentine's Day can be a day, but maybe we need to think in an evolutionary way about what love means for us and for those that we care for. Sarah, how do we reach you? Read your amazingly wonderful books. I love reading your writing. Very inspirational and so well written. And... Uh, what other information Thank you. contact you give us? Yeah, so um, people can find me at www.sarahwiseman.com and probably in the next few minutes, I, I wanted to have this ready before the show was done, but I'm going to put up a free little beautiful meditation on, uh, uh, it's called Swing Step. It's a, just a beautiful free meditation on love that people might really enjoy. It'll just be on the front of my website in the next few minutes getting that together for you now. That would be wonderful. 
So, and Jen, how do they reach you? Just say that one more time. Yes, uh, it's just Sarah Wiseman, that's S-A-R-A-W-I-S-E-M-A-N.com, and everything is there. Okay. It's a wonderful website, so many inspirational aspects to it. You can feel uplifted after a few minutes, just both entertaining and teaching yourself on her site. Sarah, thank you so much for bringing us into our consciousness about Valentine's and soulmates. Do they exist? And then what are the formats in which we are going to experience them? Call them into your life or not, but now you have the tools. Thank you, Sarah. Take good care. Thank you, listeners. Enjoy your day. Thank you so much.